calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. listening to episode 28 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 69, Diurnia Orbital, May 13, 2373. We finished the loop from Diurnia to Kazyanenko to Martha's Haven and back again in 45 days. The priority bonuses added up nicely and the passengers continued to rave about the service. As Ms. Arione piloted us smoothly to dock, I sat back in my chair and smiled in satisfaction. I really felt like I was beginning to get the hang of it. The thought sent a chill through me. Ms. Arione happened to be looking at me as the dread washed over me. What's the matter, Skipper? She stood up and stepped toward me in alarm. I waved her off and shook my head. Nothing, Ms. Arione, I'm fine. Just wondering when the next shoe would drop. Are you always this pessimistic, Skipper? Over the Staniers, I've learned that when I think I'm beginning to understand anything, that's the first symptom that I really don't understand what's going on. You really need to lighten up, Skipper, she grinned at me. The lock clacks and buzzed, and we looked at each other. Customs is on the ball this evening, I said. As captain, I needed to meet and greet the Confederation Customs people. We filed our manifests electronically before docking, so the physical inspection was more form than purpose as a rule. The inspectors would come aboard, look at the embargo locker poke about a bit in the entry, collect a thumbprint, and leave. In theory, the ship could be filled with contraband, and they'd never know. But they considered so few things contraband that they rarely pursued it. Mostly the visit was a courtesy call. When I got to the lock, in addition to the two uniformed inspectors, I met an armed security officer and a nondescript individual in a mouse-brown business suit. The customs officers, two faces I recognized, seemed apologetic, the officer stood quietly in the background, maintaining his bland, professional face. The guy in the suit seemed some odd combination of angry, jumpy, and bored. The customs inspectors came in, shook the lock on the embargo locker, collected my thumbprint, and left before I could even invite them up for coffee. Even for them, the inspection seemed a bit shallow. As they stepped off the ramp, the mouse stepped up. "'Are you Captain Ishmael Huang of the Solar Clipper Iris?' "'I am. And you are?' My name is Maynard Sylvester. I'm here to see a member of your crew, one Christine Maloney, whom we believe is using the alias Catherine Maitland. May I ask what this is about? No, Captain, I'm not at liberty to say at the moment. This officer is here to witness and to vouchsafe my bona fides. I see. I nodded to the officer, who didn't nod back. In that case, may I see some identification, Mr. Sylvester? 
Of course, Captain. He held out a chip, and I slotted it into my tablet. The information consisted of his name and address, nothing more. Please come aboard. I stepped back, and he walked up the ramp, followed by the officer. I looked up to where Miss Arione stood at the top of the ladder. Would you ask Miss Maitland to join us, Miss Arione? Aye, aye, sir. She turned and walked into the galley. Miss Maloney emerged moments later. She stopped at the top of the ladder and called down, Yes, Captain? Would you join us, Miss Maitland? Of course, sir. As she approached, Mr. Sylvester stepped toward her, but I held up a hand and he stopped. Without taking my eyes off him, I spoke, Miss Maloney, this man says he has business with you, but refuses to say what it is. From behind me, I heard her say, He's a process server, Captain. Apparently I'm being sued. Sylvester frowned at her and spoke. I have business with Miss Christine Maloney, who is using the name Catherine Maitland aboard this vessel. Is that you? She stepped up beside me and held out her hand. You know who I am. Just give me the summons, Maynard. I'm sorry, Miss Maloney, but the forms must be followed. He nodded at the security man. He's my witness. She sighed. Okay, yes, Maynard. I'm Christine Maloney, also known as Catherine Maitland, Cheryl Maidstone, Shirley Azevedo, and Charles Morgan. Happy? Charles Morgan? I asked. A long story, she said. I'll tell you later after we find out what this is about. He thumbed a folded paper out of his jacket pocket and slapped it into her waiting hand. She took it and offered to thumb Sylvester's tablet. He held it out cautiously, and she thumbed it. Give my love to Ames, she said. I'll see him soon. Sylvester held his tablet for the officer to thumb, and they both turned heel and all but ran down the ramp. I keyed the lock closed behind them and turned to where Ms. Maloney had the folded document open, reading it quickly. Paper, I said. It must be important. Her face clouded as she read. That weasel. Her words were quiet but hissed out of her. Du Bois is suing me for battery. He's suing you for battery? She nodded and handed me the summons. And he's asking for a million credits of pain and suffering. This makes no sense. I looked over to where she stood, arms crossed and scowling in concentration. He can't possibly win this suit. He doesn't want to win it. Well, then why would he sue you? To get me off the iris. She took a deep breath, and I watched her face melt from a concentrated frown to a smooth mask as she let it go. She nodded once, as if to herself, before turning to me. Maynard Sylvester is a process server that DST uses. I've met him several times. A self-important little toad, but he knows his job and does it well. So why is he delivering this? I held up the summons. And why do you think Du Bois wants you off the iris? It's typical Jarvis, she said with a shrug. I don't think Du Bois cares at all. I think Ames Jarvis put him up to filing this ridiculous suit to get me to violate the terms of the will. Jarvis covers his court costs and then fights me for violation of the terms for not having the job for full stanier. What's the violation? The summons. I have to show up in court in Greenfields. That's going to be difficult if I'm working on the galley and the iris. Well, not if the iris is in Greenfields, I said. What's the problem? And you should countersue for assault and battery. Establish that you are acting in self-defense. Make sure he has a lot to think about. Maybe he'll settle out of court. I gave her the paper back. She took it and stared at me. You'd do that? Do what? Countersue? In a heartbeat. No, Captain. Take the ship to Greenfields. How else would you get there, Miss Maitland? She looked stunned. I hadn't thought that far ahead. Jarvis thinks he has you trapped on the wrong end of the system with a summons to attend a court hearing in what, 45 days? The hearing's on June 23rd. She looked up and I could see her doing some mental gymnastics. They must have gotten something like a 90-day window and it's taken this long to catch up with me. You know a good lawyer there. She shook her head. 
No, but I know a judge who might. She looked at me with a fierce grin. But why are you doing this, Captain? This isn't your fight. Of course it's my fight, Miss Maitland, your crew. Besides, I'm beginning to think Mr. Ames Jarvis needs to reconsider his position. That's just business, Captain. He's doing what he thinks is right. No doubt, Miss Maitland, but right for whom? DST or Ames Jarvis? He's only acting CEO, and if he really is behind this, then he's the one violating the terms of the will by using the resources of DST to interfere with your stanier aboard. That earned me a thoughtful look. I'd never be able to make that stand up in probate, she said, with a tone that made me think she was contemplating doing just that. I don't have any evidence that he's behind this. Maybe not yet, but who knows what we might be able to turn up in Greenfields. Another thought struck me. How dangerous is he? Who, Ames? Yes. Would he resort to violence? Does he have the kinds of connections that would get you mugged, maybe? Her eyebrows lowered, and she looked a bit worried. I don't know. How much money and power is he likely to get out of this deal if you fail and he takes the company public? He probably believes he'll stay as CEO if that happens. I haven't been told what his deal is if I fail, only what happens to me. But it's safe to say that he'll be looking at a much nicer position if you don't come back. Oh, yes, Captain, I believe that's safe to say. Well, we'll just have to make sure you make it back then, won't we? The smile I gave her was far from mirthful. Chapter 70, Greenfell's Orbital, June 27, 2373 With some careful planning, we docked at Greenfield's just a few days before the hearing. Ms. Maloney had contacted Judge Gerard and retained legal representation on station. We took advantage of the downtime to work on the ship. The extra time allowed Greta to work through all the maintenance protocols on all the major components on the ship, and I took the opportunity to do a thorough cargo analysis on the far end of the quadrant. It was a bit of a vacation for the two of us while Ms. Maloney and Miss Arione spent most of their days ashore and meshed in the web of legal positioning. The only curiosity was that, even after a week in port, Mr. Herring didn't run out of credits. Of course, we knew going in that we'd be staying a while in Greenfields. I didn't book either passengers or cargo for the outbound leg. He spent most of his days with us aboard, sometimes helping us paint or clean, occasionally helping out in engineering when Greta needed a hand. After dinner mess, he helped with clean-up when we ate aboard or saw us back to the lock on those evenings we dined on the station, but then he faded off into the evening. Some nights he returned before breakfast, other nights he didn't. I marveled at the man's stamina even as I counted my blessings in the warm circle of Greta's embrace. According to Ms. Maloney and Ms. Arione, the trial itself ground along with the normal amounts of wrangling, posturing, and positioning for best effect. Greta and I planned on going to the hearing rooms for the final verdict, but the pair returned in mid-afternoon of the fourth day of hearings with triumphant expressions and a jubilant hoot or two as they came through the lock. We gathered in the galley as they gave us the news. So, did the judge throw out the case? Greta asked Ms. Maloney. She shook her head. Better than that, he filed a summary judgment in our favor. Du Bois has to pay all the court costs. He gets nothing, and the judge had some sharp things to say to him and his legal team for bringing the suit to begin with. Why do you let it go on so long, I asked. If it was such a cut-and-dried case, couldn't he have thrown it out sooner? Probably, but if he'd thrown it out sooner, Du Bois would have been free to pursue it again. Ms. Arione grinned like a canary-stuffed cat. You should have seen his face, Skipper. I thought he was going to strangle his lawyer. Ms. Maloney laughed. I couldn't see around to his side, but apparently the lawyer was none too pleased with his client, either. What about your countersuit? I asked. That's where we've been for the last stand or so, Ms. Maloney said with a satisfied smile. 
After the judge dismissed us from the hearing, his lawyer approached us with a settlement offer. Ms. Arione nodded. Du Bois didn't look too pleased about that, either. Ms. Maloney shook her head. No, he didn't, but he let the lawyer do the talking. Just as well, Ms. Arione said. So what'd they offer? I asked. I let them talk me down to a hundred thousand, Ms. Maloney said with a smirk. Greta gasped. Talk you down? How much were you suing him for? Two million. Twice as much as he was suing me for. He figured I had deep enough pockets that he'd be able to collect, I guess. Your case is a lot better than his was. Why'd you settle for so little? Lawyer's advice. Better a settlement you can collect than one that drives the defendant into bankruptcy. Ms. Arione looked disgusted. I think the lawyer was just looking for his fee. Ms. Maloney gave a small shrug. Yeah, perhaps. But it was still good advice, and it's more than I had going in. I doubt that I could have collected much more from him. Ms. Arione grimaced. Yeah, and he all but threatened you with not being able to collect that. Ms. Maloney looked over at her. Really? When did he say that? When his lawyer went back to him and Miss Gracie brought you the news, I was watching him. He didn't look all that upset by the news. He told his lawyer something like, well, we'll see if she can collect. His lawyer shut him up pretty fast and they got him out of there quick, but I was looking right at his face when he said it. Well, the case is still pending and we'll let it run until he pays up, Miss Maloney shrugged. If he tries to play any games, we'll have that to fall back on. Well, this calls for a celebration, Greta said. Where should we go for dinner? Ms. Maloney smiled. Excellent plan. How about that steakhouse up on 8? Well, it's your celebration, Ms. Maloney, I told her. You call it. Well, that's what I'm in the mood for, she said with relish. Well, that's what we'll do, I said. Mr. Herring ambled into the galley and smiled at us. Congratulations, Miss Maitland, he said. She grinned back. Thanks. Will you be joining us for dinner? Steakhouse up on 8, around 1900. He thought for a moment and shook his head. No, I've promised dinner to a lovely young lady who's leaving in the morning. Ms. Arione snickered. Gonna warm her last few hours on station there, Perk? He gave her a lopsided grin. Gonna try. You never know how it'll turn out. He turned to me. Do you have anything else for me to do this afternoon, Skipper? No, I think we've wrapped up the workday here, Perk. Although I still wish you'd study up on astrogation, I could really use the help. I smiled at him. You only missed by a few points the last time. He sighed and flexed his shoulders in an odd shrug. Well, I've got some time before we have to do that again, Skipper. We'll see. He looked up at the chrono and smiled. Right now, I'm going to get cleaned up because I've got a date with an angel. He smiled at all of us and headed back to the birthing area. How much longer do you want to stay here, Miss Maitland? I asked. Another day or two? I'll check with my counselor, but I think that'll be just about right. Do you want to start finding cargo? I'll do that in the morning and post the departure intent for passengers at the same time. I looked at Greta. Are we ready for space? We have been for about three days, Skipper. I looked at Miss Maloney. How are we fixed for food, Miss Maitland? I'll put in an order to top us off for tomorrow. We haven't actually used all that much. She started to say something else and then stopped. What is it, Miss Maitland? She glanced at Miss Arione before looking back. Uh, the Maitland thing isn't going to fool many people anymore, Captain. We may as well call me by my real name. Really? I asked. Miss Arione fired up her tablet and showed me a newsie. Shipping air sued blazed across the top of the image of Miss Arione leading Miss Maloney into the courtroom. She's been outed in the press, Skipper, big time. I examined the article. So it would seem. How do you feel about that, Miss Maloney? Oh, it was bound to happen eventually, Captain. Do we need to get you some new ship suits, Miss Maloney? I asked, nodding at the name stenciled on her pocket. I hadn't thought of that. We could wash it out so it doesn't have the wrong name on it. Miss Maloney looked over to her. Really? I thought this was permanent. Enzyme base cleaner. Daub a little on, rinse in cold water. The ink comes right out. She shrugged matter-of-factly. Miss Maloney looked at me. 
Is it okay if I have an unnamed suit? She asked with a grin. It's okay with me, but I suspect you can get them re-stenciled. Miserioni nodded. Happens all the time. As Maloney looked back and forth between us and shrugged. Okay, that's what we'll do. Greta and I left them planning the operation and retired to the cabin. We had a couple stands to get ready for the evening, and we put them to good use. Chapter 71. Greenfields Orbital, June 27, 2373. The four of us spent a giddy two stands at dinner. Ms. Maloney seemed relaxed for the first time since I'd met her. Something about fighting back and winning did good things for her. I'd never realized just how tightly strung she was, how closed off, and I kicked myself for that. When the waiter came around with the dessert card, we all just groaned at him, and he smiled. He didn't leave room for a sweetie, he chided us with a grin. I was almost full to the point of discomfort, and the extra glass of wine did not help. We spent a blissful two stands of laughing, eating, and enjoying the company. When I thumbed the tab, I added a generous tip and ushered my small harem out of the restaurant and onto the promenade. Ms. Arione took the lead, as she was wont to do. She still saw herself as our bodyguard, even though none of us still operated as if we needed one. Nobody in his right mind takes on a pack of four spacers. Ms. Maloney and Greta walked arm in arm with their heads together, giggling over something that I assumed I would learn about soon enough, given the occasional grins and glances they both gave me. I tried not to worry too much about it, although I harbored more than a little curiosity as I ambled along in the rear. The promenade was sparsely populated in the middle evening hours. It wasn't late enough to be fashionable, and we made up the trailing edge of the early crowd. Maybe that's why I spotted him moving up behind us, not running, but walking with a purposeful stride, as if he had somewhere to go. At first, I didn't recognize him. He was just another spacer in a threadbare gray ship suit wearing a Tyvek painter's coverall. He walked up beside me, on the side closest to the bulkhead, which made me look at him more closely, perhaps. His black, spacer-cropped hair looked wrong somehow, but before I could register it, I felt a sharp burn in my side and looked down to see a gaping wound sliced just under my ribcage and blood already soaking the fabric. I gasped from the combined pain and surprise. Greta and Miss Maloney turned to look just as he made his move. I saw his right arm begin to extend toward Miss Maloney's exposed kidney, but then she had turned enough to see the blood soaking my side and dodged away from the figure coming up fast behind her. Greta had seen what I had, and her eyes opened wide in shock as she recognized the face. What followed was less a smooth flow of time, as much a series of flashes, frames in some horror show. Sound didn't register, because each frame took no time. The entire series unfolded in silence. Flash! Greta's face twisted in shock and surprise as she pulled Christine Maloney away from the approaching blade. Flash! Stacy Arione's head turned to look back over her shoulder as she reached for her own weapons. Flash! A second Tyvek-suited figure stepping from a doorway ahead, blade in hand already driving upward toward Stacy's chest. Flash! Christine Maloney fell to the deck, dodging the thrust from behind, her momentum pulling Greta over on top of her. Flash! My vision blurred as the man's flat ceramic blade streaked forward so fast it was barely recognizable and buried itself just under Greta's left shoulder blade as she fell over Christine Maloney. Flash! The rictus of anger on Stacy Arione's face as she engaged her own attacker, an arc of silver steel in each hand. Flash! His forward momentum forced our attacker to step over the tangle of limbs on the deck, and he slammed into Miss Arione's exposed back, his second knife carving, his attack throwing her bodily into the bulkhead, even as her first attacker stepped back from the fight, streaks of red slashed diagonally across his torso. Time became fluid and linear again. 
but the shock and blood loss drew me down to land in the puddles of red on the deck. As my head bounced on the decking, sound crashed around me and shouts echoed down the promenade. I was left with one final vision of irritation flashing across our attacker's face, even as he reached his blade forward to cut the life from his surprised accomplice. As the darkness edged out my vision, I watched our attacker coldly assessing the situation while the sound of my own heart gushed in my ears. He considered our party lying sprawled and tangled on the deck, only Christine Maloney uninjured. He glanced up once as the alarm spread loudly behind and around us, his lips pressed together in a line of irritation as his mental calculus reached a solution. I felt the vibrations of running feet where my face lay against the deck, and I watched as Percival Herring turned, walked away down the promenade, and disappeared into the stairwell. Through the din, through the pounding in my ears, and even as the darkness closed my vision, I heard the latch click as the door swung closed behind him. Chapter 72, Greenfield's Orbital, July 3rd, 2373. When the autodoc cracked my consciousness, I woke feeling quite rested, as if after a particularly good night's sleep. A shell of satisfied well-being surrounded me, and I could feel a smile edging the corners of my mouth. The drugs did a very good job. Hello, Captain. A smocked figure beside the capsule drew my attention. Her face held a practiced calm, even as her eyes assessed what her instrumentation must have already told her. Hi. The drugs kept me floating even as the memories drifted up and tried to break into my consciousness. She smiled and nodded. You're going to be fine, but we need to put you back under for a bit. Before I could laugh in her face, the darkness closed on me. When I woke again, I found myself. No drugs held me warmly. The autodoc had no tubes or probes stuck into me or pressed under my skin. The feeling might have been one of rested well-being, except for the fear and uncertainty that flushed through me, sending the steady heartbeat of the cardio monitor into double time. Steady, Skipper. Miss Arione's voice came from the left, and my head turned to see her haunted eyes. Christine Maloney stood just behind her. Between the two of them, Miss Maloney looked the worse. Black and red circles ringed her eyes. Before I could speak, the medico drew my attention to the other side. Captain? I turned to look at her as she craned her head around and leaned a bit over the capsule to look at me. Welcome back, Captain. We're going to decant you in a few ticks here, but the authorities would like a word with you, if you're up to it. She made it sound like the possibility might be optional. Of course. My voice sounded flat and stale to me. Thanks. We'll be right outside, and the autodoc will call me if you have any trouble. The medico gathered my crew with her eyes, and they'd stepped out of the alcove, even as a jump-suited TIC agent pulled up a rolling stool and settled beside the pod. Hello, Captain. I'm Field Agent Aaron Harkness. Field Agent? I acknowledged his presence and title, even as I steeled myself for what must follow. I'd like to ask you some questions and record your responses, Captain. About the attack? His mouth made a movement that approximated a smile. Would that be all right? Yes. Thank you, Captain. Can you tell me your name? Ishmael Horatio Huang. Do you know where you are? I assume I'm still on Greenfield's orbital, but no, I have no direct knowledge of where I am. Tell me what you remember about your attack. 
I walked him through the raw and painful memories. I described the frames as well as I could remember, even as I knew that time, shock, and drugs had eroded them, robbed them of their clarity, and softened their pain. When I finished, he held up his tablet for me to see. Do you recognize this man? Yes. That's Percival Herring. He was one of my deck crew. Is that the man who attacked you? Yes. His hair is different. Black, not red. Agent Harkness nodded. Thank you, Captain. He pulled the tablet back and flicked it once before holding it up again. How about this man? That's Chief Bailey, Engineering First Officer Montague Bailey. I fired him back on Diurnia. What else do you know about him, Captain? He's a bodyguard and used to work for DST guarding Christine Maloney. Used to? he prompted. She fired him, too. He nodded and changed the view once more, held up a photo of a man lying on a steel table. He wore the familiar Tyvek coverall. I could see the slashes across his torso. How about this one? That looks like the second guy, the one who stepped out of the doorway and engaged Miserioni. He nodded and changed the photo once more, this time to a close-up of the man on the slab. It was a picture of a clean-shaven older man wearing spacer's cropped hair. His eyes were closed and his skin had a pale blue color. How about now? He looked familiar. There was something about his nose and the shape of the brow line. At first I didn't see it. The features of his face relaxed in a way that sleep could never accomplish. I squinted, trying to figure out what it was about him that seemed so familiar, and then it snapped into focus. That's Chief Bailey. He shaved. Agent Harkness nodded again. Thank you, Captain. He put his tablet away. Did those two know each other? Yes. They both worked for me aboard the Iris for a time. Chief Bailey was my engineer, and Mr. Herring is Abel Spacer. Why did you fire Chief Bailey? Incompetence. I needed to rely on him to perform his duties, and I couldn't. Anything else? Not at the time. As we were cleaning out his compartment, we found a tablet with a lot of newsy digitals on it, images that he'd apparently sold to the gossip columnists. Really? Do you still have the tablet? No. He came back and collected it. He cocked his head slightly. You let him have it back? What was his? What about the digitals? I erased them. His mouth twitched to a near smile. Do you know who he sold the digitals to? No. But if you check with Ms. Arione and Ms. Maloney, they can probably show you the gossip columns where we found them. Did either of these men have regular contacts on orbitals? Friends? Relatives? Not that I know of. Even as I said it, I remembered, and he must have seen the flash on my face because he nodded for me to continue. There was a group of people on Tenvolt we found Herring hanging around with. We had a problem with newsies there. A photo appeared with a story that could only have come from somebody in the crew. We thought somebody was leaking information, but Mr. Herring convinced us that he was the victim of some unscrupulous newsies who plied him with booze and picked his brain. Betts and Anna are the only two names I have. Thank you, Captain. Do you remember anything about them? Anything that would identify them? I sighed and tried to picture them, but I couldn't even remember who had been the taller. I might recognize them again if I saw them, but no. I couldn't really describe them with any accuracy or confidence. This was months ago. Thank you, Captain. He clicked his tablet. The recording is now off. He looked at me. Is there anything you care to tell me now that it's not official? No. That's all I know. Anything you suspect? I suspect that Ames Jarvis is behind this somehow. I believe that Ms. Maloney was the target. Why do you think that, Captain? I explained the situation surrounding Ms. Maloney and DST and Ames Jarvis as best I could in a few sentences, 
but in the end, shrugged. I'm not privy to all the inner workings, Agent Harkness. He stands to make a lot of money and gain control of a major company if she fails to complete her stanier. Yet, Miss Maloney was the only one not injured in the attack, he said. How do you explain that? My engineer got in the way. Somehow I managed to keep it level, keep it even, keep from screaming. The monitors over my head gave away my lie, and the medico came in with a concerned frown for Agent Harkness. He took the hint and stood. Thank you, Captain. TIC has an office here if you think of anything else. You're welcome to search his personal effects on the iris, Agent Harkness. He gave a faint smile. Thank you, Captain, but we already did that. Your Ms. Maloney was quite cooperative. He tapped the side of the auto dock with an index finger. We'll get him, Captain. He nodded reassuringly to me and left before the medico had to get pushy. The monitors above my head began to sound rather raucous, and the medico leaned down to look at my eyes. I'd prefer not to shoot any more into you, Captain. If you'd kill the audibles and give me a few minutes, I said, fighting to regain regular breathing, willing my heart rate to slow. She nodded sympathetically and placed a package of tissues within easy reach on the side of the capsule. Take your time, she said, and left, pulling the drapes closed behind her. Chapter 73 Greenfield's Orbital July 4th, 2373. They let me return to the ship after another day of observation. The slice in my side had healed, the underlying gut nearly so. The pain in my chest seemed somehow connected to the raw ache in my throat. The medico said that it would need to heal more slowly. I knew she was right. It didn't make it hurt any less. My civvies were ruined, so Miss Arione brought me a ship suit from my quarters. I fingered the scarred stars at the collar and tried to breathe, tried not to see the sapphire in my mind. I steeled myself when I opened the cabin door, but her things were already gone. I turned to find Miss Maloney standing behind me. Where? Stacy and I took care of it, Captain, she said. How? I called in a favor and got her next of kin record from DST. We sorted her stuff out and notified her family. Her father and a surviving sister. We're waiting on the reply now. I didn't get to say goodbye, I said. It felt stupid and whining, but as if having her gone was not bad enough, I felt angry and cheated. We can have a memorial service when you're ready, Captain. Of course, yes. I felt my strength giving out then. The walk from medical following the tensely alert form of Miss Arione had sapped my depleted reserves. I all but stumbled into the cabin and sat heavily at my console. Miss Maloney stopped at the doorframe, concern on her face. Can I bring you some coffee, Captain? Yes. Please, Miss Maloney, that would be very thoughtful. While she fetched it, I powered up my console. I was the captain. My ship needed me. After clearing Mr. Herring's access codes, I started working on catching up on the logs. Miss Maloney brought my coffee and set it on the console beside me. Thank you, Miss Maloney, I said, stopping to look up at her. I'm so sorry, Captain. She looked like she hadn't slept in a week. Thank you. The words were the forms, and we both knew they were not going to help, but it was all we had to offer each other at the moment. Did the TIC say anything to you? Where he is? Do they know? She shrugged. He disappeared into a crowd. By the time station security sealed the ports, four ships had already left. Three of them came back when called. The fourth didn't respond. 
Last I heard, TIC had a pursuit craft chasing it down, but Agent Harkness didn't have a lot of optimism about that. Thank you, I said, my words hollow in my ears, and thanks for taking care of... of things. She reached out to touch my shoulder but stopped, withdrawing her hand. You're welcome, Captain. What are the newsies saying? I asked. I wasn't sure I wanted to know, but I had to ask. She gave a weary shrug. Most of the coverage is about you and your near-death experience. I come in for a fair amount of breathless attention as the heiress involved in the fatal brawl. She stopped suddenly. What about Greta? Killer slips TIC grasp. She's mentioned as the hapless victim, but nothing lurid. I couldn't decide if I was pleased by that or not. The parts of me that didn't feel anger felt numb. Miss Arione came to stand at the door jam. Mercifully, she said nothing, just watched. What do we do now, Captain? Miss Maloney asked. Well, I sucked in a deep breath and blew it out slowly. We need an engineer before we can get underway. We'll need to figure out where... I've moved back in with Stacy, Captain. I looked up at her. Neither of us wanted to be alone. I turned to Miss Arione. How are you, by the way? I offered a thin smile of apology. I've been so self-absorbed I haven't even asked. She gave me one of her lopsided grins. I was in the auto dock overnight, but the stab was in and out and missed everything except the skin and a rib. Shock and blood loss, mostly. I've been up and about for a week now. Miss Maloney asked, What about you, Captain? The medicos didn't tell us much. I shrugged and was gratified that it didn't hurt. He cut through from here to here. I turned and pointed along a line under my ribcage. Missed the liver, but got part of my intestines. I guess that was what kept me out so long. Muscle damage, probably, Ms. Arione offered in support of agreement. Medico said they were worried about infection, too, Ms. Maloney added. Well, I'm rested now, sort of. I think we still have some credits left and full tanks. I was proud of myself for not choking. We need to get Iris moving again. I looked from one to the other. We need an engineer or we can't move the ship. The pity in their eyes almost made me scream, but I bit down on it. After a few breaths, I was able to add, So that's my first priority. After that, we can see about cargo and passengers. Another decky? Miss Arione asked. I thought about it. Not just now. We'll have to make do with what we have. I shook my head, feeling fuzzy again. I need to think about it. More crew means fewer passengers. They shared a look. I didn't know what it meant, but I felt too numb to worry about it. Ms. Maloney headed for the door. Well, I'm going to get dinner going. She stopped at the doorframe and started to pull it closed. Call if you need anything, Captain. I'll be in the galley. Thank you, Ms. Maloney. They left me then, the door latch clicking softly into place. I fumbled through the engineering job post and managed to get something that looked halfway decent onto the station net before the weight of my arms became too much. With my last strength, I managed to make my bunk and fall onto it, pulling my legs up and curling around the hurt. All I smelled was clean linens. Even her scent was gone. A long time later, I slept. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad and is used with permission of the artists. 
You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Jode on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Dorendus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. license. For more information about the book, the author, and the golden age of the Solar Clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com. Mm-hmm.